welcome into episode 20 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Happy to be joined once again by two of the best up-and-coming recruiting insiders in the game, Travis Graff and David Sisk of CatsIllustrated.com. Travis, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? David, how are you? Doing great, guys. Hope everything's going well. Absolutely. Well, great to hear. I appreciate you both joining me again to break down all things Kentucky basketball and the latest in the world of recruiting. But before we get to that, I have to give one final shout-out to our friends at BBN Vegas. I mean, the Vegas trip is next week, so this is our last opportunity to talk about our friends there. The Big Blue Nation takes over Las Vegas when Kentucky basketball hits Sin City. The action tips with the Kentucky vs. Utah game presented by UK Healthcare and benefiting coaches vs. cancer on Wednesday, December 18th at T-Mobile Arena. BBN will then have the opportunity to hit the links at the world-renowned Shadow Creek Golf Course on Friday, December 20th as part of Golf Blue benefiting coaches vs. cancer. The Cats then play in the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday, December 21st against Ohio State, who is now uh, you know, shooting up in the rankings. So that is going to be an awesome game. Um, visit BBNVegas.com or follow along at on social media at BBN Las Vegas for full information, game tickets, home hotel accommodations on the Las Vegas Strip. If you have any last-second accommodations you need, they have it for you. Go visit them and uh, come say hi. When you book those tickets, I will be in Vegas. Uh, we, can, we can go have a good time out there. Now, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. The basketball team is finding its groove. EJ Montgomery played out of his mind against Fairleigh Dickinson. We have several uh, interesting recruiting nuggets we need to share. Uh, so we will touch on all of that today. First, the basketball team. Travis, uh, things are looking up. Um, some of the main questions we had over the last several weeks are kind of slowly starting to disappear. What are your thoughts on Kentucky's win over Fairleigh Dickinson and just the overall progress we're seeing from from the entire team? If EJ Montgomery played like that on a consistent basis, you could make an argument that the front court is a actually the strength of this UK team and that UK would have one of the best front courts in the country. Um, I'm not going to expect 25 and what do you have? 25 and 10, 25 and nine. I believe it was 25 and nine. Yeah, I think 25 and nine. I think, something like but that. I think if he starts finding his groove, I think he could give 13, 14 points a game, six or seven rebounds a game, and that would really complement Nick. I think they complement each other re- really well. And I think, like I said all along, I think Keon Brooks keeps on taking steps to be the the big X factor of this team, and he really showed that against Fairleigh Dickinson, and. I, Honestly, I can't name maybe one or two point guards in the country that are playing better than Ashton Higgins at this time. Yeah, I mean, didn't John Calipari say in a recent press conference, he said, if you have another point guard that is better better than Ashton Higgins in the country, you are going to have to tell me who that is. Uh, yeah, you bring up a great point on Keon Brooks. 15 points, career high. It looked like as soon as he came in the game that he was just looking for his shot, that he, you know, he he's one of those guys that – um, over the last couple of weeks, he he would take a shot from you know mid range or, or from the three point line. He misses and he kind of shies away from shots. He he kind of gets overly passive and and 
and tries passing the ball a little bit too much instead of going right back at it and doing what he does best, attacking the rim and, and still going for his shot because he put up so many so many points at, at the high school level at La Lumiere. Um, but we finally got to see what Keon Brooks is, who he is as a player, uh, and it was really awesome to see. Uh, David, you know, you are our X and, X's and O's guy. What do you think about their overall progression and uh, just kind of what, what do you think about the Cats right now? I, I thought this was the most overmatched team that they've played. Uh, but it really looked to me like that they were ready to get out and run. Um, and I know Kentucky fans have been kind of waiting on that. And they've done it to a degree. But it was just one fast break dunk after another. And, uh, you know, those guys really, once they got a taste of it, man, it was like, you know, like shark circling was blood to water. Mm-hmm. Once uh, – and, and I'll say this too. Um, I felt like Fairleigh Dickinson did did a pretty poor job in transition defense. I mean, EJ came in and had two or three early dunks. You could just see it was it was an OLA. You could just see him get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, but having said that, you know, you talk about uh, EJ, and I did a story on it. Showed the different ways that he scored. It, 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 and it's like Travis said. You know, if he could play like that, and he made buckets in the half court, and that's what I looked at, that he could make against anybody. He had a very nice jump hook. Uh, he had a little turnaround jumper uh, in a high post. There was one when he had great post position. Tyrese didn't make a good feed, and he ended up getting the ball with two feet out of the bucket. He ended up facing up from probably about 15, 16 feet out. Uh, giving a jab one way and rising up, pulling a confident shot and making it. And you could see other times he called for the ball and, and didn't even, didn't, there was no hesitation. So those were looks that he can get against Fairleigh Dickinson, but those are looks he can get against Louisville and, and, and Auburn and people like that too can score. The other thing too, I, I, I really like said, I liked them in a the break. And that was the one thing I noticed. They were going – if you go back and watch old Phoenix Sun stuff when Steve Nash was there, they called it early offense, where, you know, four or five seconds in, I'm talking about from the rebound. They crossed half, half court. They didn't have it. They were setting a quick ball screen like 35 feet from the bucket. Steve Nash was playing downhill. That's what they were doing for Hagens and Maxie, um, you know, against Fairleigh Dickinson. And that's the one big thing I noticed differently, that they were really, really getting into quick offense you know, if they didn't have it on the fast break. I'll say this, though. Kentucky's about to face the, probably the toughest little chunk of their schedule all season. Maxie needs to find his shot again. He really struggled the other night. But I do like how he's become a secondary uh, secondary uh, ball mover and um, facilitator behind Hagens. That's something that Kyle Perry said he was really looking for uh, out of him. I think he's definitely going to need to pick his scoring back up here soon. I think you bring up a good point with that, but at the same time, what was the one question we all had after you know the big Michigan State game and, and you know kind of their cold stretch after that was Tyrese Maxey was the team's go-to scorer, and it seemed outside of that we really didn't you know like what happened in Evans against Evansville when you didn't have Tyrese you know shooting out of his mind the whole team went went cold because they didn't know who else to go to. So, yes, Tyrese has to – you know, he has to get back to his scoring ways. You know, it, it, it's time. He's had several games off of, you know, of being off. But I've been – I've almost really enjoyed the fact that 
that other players other than Tyrese Maxey have have lifted the scoring load, most specifically being EJ Montgomery and, and Nick Richards and and you know Ashton Hagens has been attacking the rim. Keon Brooks, you know, we already talked about him. He had his his impressive game. Kentucky needs more than just one primary scoring option, and it, it's almost it, it, it's trial by fire. It's tough that you know if it if it goes wrong, like we saw against Evansville. You know, you you could potentially lose that game, but to have the other players like EJ and Keon and and Ashton Hagens when he attacks the rim to kind of pick up that scoring load, um, it it really helps. While while Tyrese kind of finds his shot again and gets back to where he was, one thing that's kind of been frustrating me a little bit is kind of the, I mean, yes, Fairleigh Dickinson is a very bad team. David, you touched on it. They are a, I mean, a horrendous team. They they did nothing to stop Kentucky. It was, I mean, they were just a massive pushover. I mean, we can't, we got to put it, be one hundred percent honest about it. But there's this kind of like notion out there that that EJ and Nick can't, you know, they're putting up these big numbers right now and all that, but you know, they're not going to be able to do the same thing when the schedule gets tough in these next couple of weeks and then going into SEC play and all that. Uh, my thinking is we are already a quarter of the way into the season. We are already eight games into the year. Um, and, you know, looking at like a guy like Nick Richards, his numbers oh, out of 74 potential games or, or 74 possible games during his Kentucky career, he broke the double-digit point barrier nine times. Nine times out of 74 games during his first two years at Kentucky. And through, you know, up up to this point, he is, I, I think he's only failed to break that double-digit point barrier in two of those games. I think he is, out of eight games, I think he, he's gotten at least ten points in, in six of them. Um, and you know, even even against Fairleigh Dickinson, I think John Calipari said said something along the lines of uh, he was playing arrogant. I didn't think he played all that well, and he had twelve points on five of seven on five of seven shooting, 10, 10 rebounds and two blocks. Could you imagine thinking last year that a twelve and ten, you know, twelve ten and two game out of Nick Richards would not be would not impress John Calipari? That's just it's just mind blowing. I mean, he he even said in his press conference, he said, uh, there, I mean, there were points last year that I, I couldn't even I didn't have any reason to play him in the games because he was just so bad. Um, and and now that to, to, for his bad game to be 12 points and 10 rebounds in in two blocks it's just it's just blowing my mind yes EJ Montgomery dropped 25 uh, against you know you know the YMCA youth club but it was still 25 points you know he was he, it wasn't just wide open layups and dunks the whole time yes he had plenty of those but you know that that elbow shot that he just looked so so comfortable taking and and you know his ability to just kind of take the ball to the perimeter and drive and and kind of um you know use his physicality to score at the rim I mean he's doing a lot of the things that we kind of saw glimpses of last year but that he never really found that consistency of doing He's now done it two two consecutive games. Um, very very tough schedule about to come, but uh, it's at least it's at least a good sign. I, I'm at least very very impressed with what we've seen over over the recent weeks, um, over the recent games. I guess um, moving on from oh, that, I got I got a quick question. Uh, do you all like the move of getting Johnny Juzang in the starting lineup? Well, first off, what do you, what do you think of of that decision to move into the starting moving into the starting lineup? I think that. His shot is going to come. I think he's too gifted of a scorer to stay cold all season long. I just think that he's still swimming and trying to grasp, grasp the college game. But I think 
that Kentucky, not hating whatsoever whenever I say this, but I think Kentucky needed to move away from Khalil Whitney um, at the start of the game because that lineup was just – it was slow start after slow start. Um, he's just trying to find his role, and I think he's more of a high-energy guy off the bench, play defense, and hit corner threes. He's a 3-and-D guy in the league, and that's what he needs to focus on. Um, if you can get the – get him where he's not in as many uh, ball handling situations, I think he'll take strides to helping the team um, more than he has been. Well, look at what, look at how he helped against Fairleigh Dickinson. Where was he almost always around the rim, attacking the rim via alley-oops or clean-up buckets? That's exactly where he I needs think, to be. I think that this is because we always talk about Calipari breaks players down, lets them see their mistakes, and then builds them back up. I think he's going to realize and probably has realized that he's a finisher instead of a um, playmaker or facilitator. I think Alex Porthers had the same problem. When Alex Porthers' junior year found out that when he was playing with Eulis that, hey, I'm just going to finish around the rim, he had some fantastic games. And I'm not comparing uh, Khalil Whitney to Alex Porthers, but I think that in in the same aspect, he needs to just finish around the rim. I think he could do that at a high level. He can get 10 points a game scoring within two feet. Yeah. Um, David, on, on his original question, Johnny Juzang in the starting lineup, what do you think? Um, I, I think it might have been done to give him a confidence boost. And it's probably a game where you could do that because you're probably going to need him somewhere because of his ability to shoot the outside shot. And even though he missed some, you know, he had some good looks. He's not knocked them down yet. I thought he did some good things. I think he's defending better. You know, I think he was strong with the ball. Uh you know, he just didn't knock down shots, but I, I thought he did good things. But I, I think that was just a situation where they needed him more times than not in the future. Um, now, you know that when when the rubber hits the road, that starting lineup is going to be Hagen's, Maxi, Quickly, Montgomery, and Richards. Has you know, to be. That, Has to be. That's what I would think. And, and I'm gonna say one thing on Richards, and you ask a great question. You know, and that is the obvious question that people are going to ask now. Can they produce the bigs produce in the future? I, and when they played Ohio State, some Louisville's, and it's going to start this week with Georgia Tech. Um, I'll say that I, I think that is the million dollar question. I think it's, I don't think it's an unfair question. I think it's one that deserves to be asked. And my question, my answer is I really don't know. We're going to see because. We know he can't post up the way these guys posted up last year. You know, he's and and and, and Calipari has said that. Um, and in fact, uh, during the broadcast uh, last Saturday, um, they said that Calipari told him, "said Look, if he doesn't have two feet in the paint, don't throw it to him because mm-hmm. he's really trying to reinforce that with him." But here's the deal: at least I've got. Last year, there was no doubt in my mind that he couldn't do it. This year, you know, I, I, I do think – I think he can. So, my confidence level, for whatever that's worth, is higher in both those guys this year than it was last year. And I think I, I think I can probably speak for all three of us and say that. Um, and, and let me ask you this. If I gave you the choice now – and I meant to ask this question on Cats Illustrated on the message boards, and I haven't. But let me give you a choice. If you had the choice right now – between Nick Richards right now this year, and I'm not going to say P.J. Washington because we know what would happen there. But if I gave you the choice between Nick Richards of this year 
and read Travis the last year and say you could have either one of those on this year's team you wanted, which one would you take? Nick Richards did not think twice about it because <clears throat> he brings rim protection as well. That's something that Reed Travis did not bring. Um, more versatile defender on the perimeter. Reed Travis got uh, – he like like I said, I'm not talking crap here either. Reed Travis was a fantastic player, fantastic leader, and a great teammate. But there were some holes in his game. Rim protection was one. Fishing around the rim due to his size was one. He got blocked um, – at the backboard quite a bit, uh, perimeter defense whenever he got switched in the pick and roll. And I think Nick is so far this season has been better in all three of those facets. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I'm, I am very, very high. And I think there's also this kind of misconception that, that fans are going to demand Nick to be a, a 21 and 10 type guy during SEC play and, and, and during all that that's not what we're asking of him and yes i for the fans that go you know he's not going to be able to do this against against you know better competition yes that may be true but kentucky doesn't need him you know either him or or ej to do that they're going to need nick to be exactly what he was against fairly dickinson from you know from a stat uh, stat uh, standpoint he can be a 12 10 and 2 guy and Kentucky fans would love every single second of it against elite competition. EJ can be what he was uh, against um, whoever the last whoever the last game was where he he had sixteen and eight. That he can be that kind of player that finesse big while while Nick can be you know a rim running uh, you know kind of a def- more defensive minded player. You know, they can complement one one another very well. So yes, even with what what we're kind of expecting in going forward and you're going back to your question David what we expect of Nick going forward being not a 21 and 10 or you know a 25 and you know whatever EJ was Nick can be a 12 and 10 14 and 10 with you know two or three three blocks and I'd be thrilled and I'd still take him still take him over Reed because of like what like what Travis said being the the rim protector and just being a threat on both ends of the floor versus mostly just one um yeah it's it's a great point do you, I am do you know what do you know what his stats are for the year Nick Richards what he's averaging I think it's 14 9 and 3 yeah something like that uh I see the 14 and 9 right here and I, three sounds right but if you think about it, it seems like he's averaging more than 14 points a game, just how active he's been. And he's Kentucky's leading scorer. It's been balanced this year. Uh, Nick Richards, 13.8. Tyrese Maxey, 13.1. Ashton Higgins, 12.8. Manuel Quickly, 11.7. And EJ Montgomery, 12.2. And then you got uh, Keon with seven off the bench and Khalil with six on and off the bench. So, I mean, it's been – might be Kentucky's most balanced scoring team that he's had here since – shoot the – I'm not going to compare the two teams, but probably balance scoring since um, the championship team. Yeah, I will take uh, I will take five players and double figures all day, every day. And having that, that sixth player being Nate Sestina, 7.3, and Keon at 6.6, Khalil at 5. Point, like, you, to have – yeah, like you said, to have that level of balance and, you know, just fluidity between, you know, where – like I said, you, where you don't have to rely on just – Tyrese Maxey to be your scoring your scoring leader when you can spread the love and have more you know multiple people we've had career highs from from Nick Richards and EJ or at least season highs from Nick Richards Keon Brooks 
Ashton Hagens when he had his uh, 35 free throws in that one game. Like we are getting several players with with uh, you know a ton of production where we really didn't see all that all that much last year from especially the the sophomore players. I am very, very, very impressed with the balanced nature of this team. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, from an injury standpoint, Nate Sestina, uh, I believe John Calipari in his Monday night call-in show said that Sestina was still um, – he still had that small cast on his hand and that it will be probably one more week before he gets that cast off and he even sees how his hand feels. That's kind of – or how his wrist feels. Calipari said that it, that one one week mark will be a pretty telling – uh, a, t- a pretty telling figure to determine when he's going to be able to come back. He thinks he's still probably two to three weeks away. It's kind of looking at looking at that, you know, considering he hasn't even gone in and tested out his left wrist since since the injury. It's looking like that's going to be the case. Uh, and now Dante Allen practiced for the second time on Monday. Calipari said last Monday that he practiced a, a, literally a week ago from from Monday for the first time since his torn ACL and broken collarbone injuries. He played for he played for the first time. Uh, said that it, his knee swelled up. That um, he, he didn't look very good at all. His lateral quickness was just not there. That he just was not ready to get back on the floor. So um, he he tried him out again. Said on Monday said that he he played pretty well. Made his first shot ever in a live situation at, at practice during his time at Kentucky, which is fairly significant. Um, Travis, let me ask you first. Where do you think Kentucky, you know, what kind of impact will these two players make when they return to the floor? And do they need do they need either of them at this point? I think you need uh, Sestina definitely just for it it allows for Nick and EJ to be more aggressive on defense for one. And then two, he's he's a deep ball threat on offense. He can hit he's uh, the one player that you can run a pick and pop with instead of a pick and roll. Uh, EJ came in mid range, but. I mean, hell, he's been hitting some threes, though, too. But Sestina is arguably the team's best outside shooter. You can make an argument for that. And uh, Dante Allen is wired to score, and Kentucky needs scores, especially uh, different areas of the court. And I, I could see him getting a chunk of the wing minutes. Like, I'm not going to expect too much of either of them whenever they return, but I think that they could play key roles. David, what do you think about both of their impacts and – uh, the the need factor for both of them? I think they're going to need Sestina uh, because that outside shot, if they're not making the outside shots, teams start packing in a defense. And I think that that would be John Calipari's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I said this. I, I thought Sestina, we talked about this two weeks ago or Thanksgiving when we did our podcast. Um, and we, 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 we talked about the same thing and we, we said, okay, he's hurt. They're going into boot camp. You know, how much will it hurt him? Um, and I said, I think from a defensive standpoint of it, intelligence experience, he could watch on the side and pick up. But I think the problem is that, um, he's just not going to be able to, uh, He's going to be a little rusty, I think, when he comes back. You know, he's going to have to learn on the fly, and it's going to be very difficult games to do that when you're playing against. Um, you know, if he gets back and it's Ohio State and Louisville, and then going into the SEC, I think the good thing, if you've looked at the SEC schedule, it's not top heavy right off the bat. So, you know, I think that's good. But 
uh, I, I do think the positive is now with the post healthy Montgomery, uh, uh, Richards, all those guys that what can happen is now he can play in his true role and that's pick and pop because when Montgomery out, they had to post him up and, and it's okay. Where's the three point shooter? Well, he was playing in the lane, uh, trying to post up. So I think that's big. And, and I've said, I, I just, I, I, I think that Dante Allen's going to have a, a good career at Kentucky, but I don't think it's going to be right now because I think you're asking a lot, uh, just coming in cold you haven't played in a year you really didn't have a senior season in high school and when you come in it's probably going to be on sec schedule of course they wouldn't expect him to do a lot probably but you know i i just think coming off a knee it just takes time and i don't care who you are you're going to be rusty yeah and besides that you're going to be not only rusty you're going to be inexperienced this guy's a freshman Mm -hmm. so you're talking about a freshman trying to come in the sec schedule and do it who's never played it yeah, that's exactly what Calipari said this week. He said that that he came in there and played exactly the way you'd think somebody coming off a torn ACL and a you know somebody playing his very first practice at the at at a school like Kentucky played. He played exactly the way you think he would. Um, but I mean, yeah, like you said, Dante Allen was not recruited here to be a one year. You, you know, dominant player. He's he, he, Kentucky's 100% playing the long game with him. They're not going to rush him back. They're going to let him find his groove, come back whenever they think uh, or whenever he thinks he's ready, whenever he's ready to make an, an in-game impact. Um, you know, there were some rumblings that he'd redshirt this year. I, I don't think he wants to redshirt, but I think if it's in his best interest to, to not come back and, and risk another injury or just playing absolutely horribly um, – it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see him at all this year. I mean, I, I, I really would not surprise me at all. Um, you know, but and it's okay. Kentucky does not need him to 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 be an immediate impact guy. But yeah, like you guys both said, Nate Sestina is that guy. They do need him back as soon as possible, um, if nothing more than for shooting purposes and depth purposes. Because uh, Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery have done a phenomenal job making up making up for Sestina's loss from a productive from a productive a production standpoint but uh there's still some other other variables involved that that Sestina is is incredibly valuable and and uh they definitely are making up for that on that note moving on from there um let's talk a little recruiting now on Monday there were some some pretty pretty significant news that came out regarding a seven foot two center from the Philippines Kai Soto who visited Kentucky on an uh, he took an unofficial to Kentucky um he went with his father um kind of just Evan Daniels broke the news out of nowhere he just nobody really had any idea that he was making his way to Lexington uh and he did and um it was a very interesting visit because we almost never uh, the way recruiting works is when visits happen, high-profile recruits either talk to a couple reporters after after major visits or you know major official visits or anything like that. You know they ask you know how how the visit go, what you think of it, what you know what, what happened. So you kind of get a um, you you get it straight from the horse's mouth, but it's still a very a, a very on the surface level of what's what's going on. You, you basically just have to take them for what for for their word. Other times you don't get a single word uh, out of these uh, out of these guys because it's about secrecy. They don't want to put a lot out there. 
Kai Soto was not didn't fit any of those categories. He documented darn near every single event that happened while he was on while he was on campus posting on on his Twitter page, you know, pictures of of him walking through the facilities, him meeting Kenny Payne for the first time, him going up to the the interactive video board, um, you know, documenting all of UK's NBA players and, and all that good stuff. And then there's one there's one picture that he posted of 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 UK in the gym, in the you know the training facility working out lifting weights and all that stuff and John Calipari running on an on a lip an elliptical I'm sure he absolutely loved a a behind you know behind him picture being taken of him and posted on social media of him running on a on an elliptical that was very funny but yeah very interesting you you rarely see a player <laughs> not only put public pictures and videos like that, but rave. I mean, every single post he put out, the captions were like legends start here. And, and, uh, you know, I want a coach that works, you know, works with his players off the court and stuff like that. Um, said, I think his last tweet was the Kentucky set the bar high or something like that. Very, 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 very impressed with it. Um, now guys, I know, as soon as this news broke, we both kind of, we all three of us kind of like divided and conquered. We decided to just go all in, get our you know put our boots on the ground, figure this stuff out. Um, Travis, what do you know first and foremost about uh, Kai Soto and his recruitment? Um, like you said, it's different uh, with the way that they handled the social media postings on the visit. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before as in depth, and you could tell he was just eating it up, and it was genuine. Um, I'd send him a message on Twitter after he visited and he said that to, uh, like any interview requests or whatever can be done through his aunt and sent me his aunt's number. And I don't know if it's him running his Twitter or if, or if it's his aunt running it in the grand scheme of things, but oh well. But I, I asked, I was like, Hey, we're, we're recording, um, this basketball podcast, this one, um, tonight, would you be able to chat anytime before six? And she she's uh she messaged me back and said i wish i could uh keeping things pretty tight currently not making comments at the moment but we will let you know as soon as is, is it k or kai it's, it's kai soto kai all right uh we'll let you know as soon as kai is free for interviews but i'm sure you can tell by his twitter is a great visit if you have any specific questions you can text you want to text me we can maybe answer them but understand right now he's had several schools he's visiting and wants to be respectful of all all coaches and teams so, I've uh, Jack told me earlier that he had heard that they're kind of like stingy whenever it comes to talking to media. Is that what, that what you'd heard? Yeah, yeah. They were they, they were just very selective with who they talk to, what they put out. They their kind of argument was, you got all you needed to see on on our Twitter page. I mean, we literally put everything you needed to know about the visit and how much we liked it. What else do you need to know? That was kind of their overall they, they don't they know just, us very well do they no no yeah but they, they just want to be very selective with what they say i had texted her a couple of questions and got no response which is fine and uh i hope that after he takes a few more visits and is more open about the recruiting process that we can actually get him on the show i think he'd be a unique guest yeah david david you i believe you talked to his head coach um, kind of about who he is as, as a player and, and kind of what he brings to the table. What do you know about his recruitment and, and just kind of the ins and outs of him as a player? Yeah, um, one thing I did right off the bat when I saw um, the skill factory, 
uh, I talked, called Rob Johnson or text him right away. Um, don't tell anybody I was at work. I wasn't supposed to be doing that, but I did. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and I know sometimes, you know, I talk about working some with a Vanderbilt site, the Minnesota site, and, mm-hmm. and trust me, that can be very, very helpful at times when working with Kentucky because uh, the skill factory in Atlanta – Bryce Drew used to recruit a lot of those guys when he was a Vanderbilt. So I, I got to know Coach Johnson pretty well. And uh, he was kind enough to text me back. Um, they were in Barcelona or in Madrid, rather, uh, actually playing overseas. Obviously, uh, uh, this young man didn't go. Uh, he stayed home. That's why he, you know, he could take the visit. I, I don't know if they're. Who knows with him coming in from the Philippines or may have been visa issues. I can see that being a, a problem. Yeah. That's good uh point. or passport issues. Um but you know, he told me, yeah, that was the case. He is visiting. He gave me a uh, he said there was no offer. There hasn't been an offer. It's an unofficial visit, which you know, there I think there were some reports on Twitter, uh, uh just kind of some independent not I wouldn't even call recruiting people, but I guess people that knew him or or something kind of got excited and say, hey, there's been a Kentucky offer. That wasn't the case. Yeah, he kind of gave me a scouting report to match what Evan, match what Corey Evans said. Corey saw him play a couple weekends ago. Um, and I, I think the thing here is that you've got a guy that's 7-2. He's come to the States. Nobody knew about him, although he did average double figures for the uh, Philippines uh, 19 and under FIBA team. Uh, but you know, he opened up against IMG, and I mean they've played. It's a uh, it's a prep league, uh, a prep school type of schedule, mm-hmm. man. And I mean they've played good, strong. I mean IMG's good. Yeah, and, na- I mean uh, national powerhouse. And, yeah, you know, he has yeah big numbers right off the bat. So I think that that got a lot of it, uh, people's attention, and you know Kentucky and this look because we've talked about where all that they're going to look for post players. We've went in depth on this show from 2020s, 2021s, junior college players, and we've even brought up internationals, didn't know who they would be, and, you know, this is kind of the first one. So it makes total sense to me that that they would take a look. I I don't think the iron's hot right now. I think they will definitely want to see. And and I'll tell you something else, too. And, and look, I I would be cheating our listeners, and I've even I've, I've talked about this, uh, talked about this on Cats Illustrated. You know, I, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say this. There are, with international players, there's two things. There are big-time uh, uh, eligibility issues of all of these players mm-hmm. that have played professionally. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it, it that, that remains to be seen. Coach Johnson told me he is um, – there will be no eligibility issues. He has his paperwork and everything. So as far as academically, uh, I think we're going to talk about this with another international player here in a little bit. Uh, there are uh, – evidently he's got everything in order. But then you get to the other things. You know, will he – did he take any payments? I know uh, Isaiah Einan, who uh, is a freshman in Minnesota – that's something they had to look up because he played in a professional league for two or three years mm-hmm. uh, in Germany, and these kids are thirteen to fourteen years old playing professionally. Yeah, and and that that I've heard people say, well, why don't they need to do it in the United States like they do overseas? No, you don't either. 
Uh, I mean, you're, you'll be talking about 12-year-olds quitting school and going to play professional. <laughs> What's play wrong with that? Men. And I'm not exaggerating. That's They play against guys. They're 14, 15 years old playing against 25-year-olds. So that's what happens in these places. Uh, and another thing, too, I, uh, I'm not going to mention the guy's name. Now, this has nothing to do with this one. This was another recruitment that didn't involve Kentucky. And I was talking to a national recruiting analyst and he told me, uh, he said, man, you start to get internationally, uh, man, you're talking about a cesspool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know this, I'm going to use Bryce Drew again. You know, when Bryce came to Vanderbilt, he says, I'm going to be getting a lot of these international kids. Well, he was getting them at Valpo. Uh, they were going on mission trips and kind of like doing basketball camps and stuff. But it wasn't big-time players. It was players like you've seen the Summit. When you start looking at guys internationally, you could get in the, in, in the uh, uh, SEC. I think when they saw some of the things you have to do for it or, or, or how ugly and how greasy that whole thing is, he kind of said, I don't want any part in this one. And I'm going to say one thing for John Calipari. Now, fans, other fan bases will, won't believe it, but Kentucky fans will. He will not put up with red flags. Mm-hmm. And you have them in this. And, and this guy told me, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, and I'm not going to mention the programs. He said, but there's a couple of really prolific programs out there that take a lot of international kids. And these are top 16, elite eight type programs every year. And you and they have a reputation of being squeaky clean. And he said, I really kind of laugh at that when I see all the internationals that they've got on the roster. So, you know, it, they, they, there's a, still a lot of water to go under this bridge. I mean, it's not like, hey, a, a, a kid from the Philippines visits on Monday and, you know, and he, he's going to be signed with Kentucky by the time he leaves campus. This is a whole different deal. Yeah, yeah, you bring up a lot of good points. Um, I – I reached out to a lot of people, you know, that that watch his game, saw who he was, because you know, my first instinct watching his film was that I was not that impressed. I got to admit, I thought he was fairly slow laterally. Um, just, I mean, I think you know, just vertically. I mean, I, I think running the floor, he didn't just didn't look comfortable. Um, you know, he had polished post moves. He looked he looked solid, but um, you know, I wasn't impressed with how he kind of threw his weight around. I didn't think he, I didn't think he threw his weight around all that much. I uh, thought he kind of got, you know, beat up by some of the bigger guys a little bit. Didn't, wasn't able to find his own spacing or, you know, create space. Um, so I, I had a few issues with his game. So I reached out to some people, um, that watched him, that watched him internationally, that watched him, you know, in, in the recent weeks when he got to the States. And I believe he came over officially in the spring, um, but enrolled, enrolled at the, the school in Georgia this November, I believe. Um, so I got in touch with, with his trainer who said, who very, you know, off the bat, you know, mentioned that, that he, he, he does need to work on, on his agility a little bit and, and all that. But, he said, Kai is a very skilled big man who can knock down the three at ease. His touch and feel around the rim is tremendous for his age. His dad was one hell of a player in the Philippines and coached over there at the highest level. Kai's IQ for the game is very high in our workouts. Kai shot 50% from three and even hit 30 or so threes in a row in our last workout. Great kid with a great head on his shoulders. Uh, even better kid off the court. Now, 
Another thing that I was made aware of is that he has been actually training in Kentucky um, with with Griffin Elite up in up in Erlanger, Kentucky, over the last couple months. And, you know, that kind of established the connection there where, you know, Kentucky being right there, you know, he, he's in Georgia for high school, but he has been coming up fairly regularly to to train. So that connection is obviously there. So it, if he does become this, you know, I, we kind of talked before the podcast, we're going to need to decide, is he the next Christoph Porzingis or is he the next Ty Winyard? Is this just another, you know, just another international kid that, that flames out or is he the real deal? Um, is he going to make a, a high level impact, you know, at the college level and both in, in at the NBA level? Um, so if he does become that high level player, and I've heard from from now two different people that said that he is Kentucky quality, which I think that that is something of substance. Somebody close to Kentucky um, said that said that they were very impressed with his game and thought that he was 100% a a Kentucky level talent. Um, but the connections are there. If he does take the next, like like David, like you said, we are very 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 early in this recruitment. Um, but if this if things do get serious and Kentucky gets serious about it, offers a scholarship, makes you know makes him a priority. The connections are there for Kentucky to make this you know make this a, a, a relatively easy recruitment even outside of just how much he enjoyed his recruitment uh, uh, you know what we know on the surface level based on what he tweeted out it's fairly obvious that he had a great time but a lot goes into it uh, there's a lot more at play um, and the connections are there um, I will say I asked I asked his trainer as well um, how you think he'd project at Kentucky does he have a high ceiling I saw that he's trying to get to the NBA quickly um, he said I think he would develop quickly uh, and working with Rob Strong at Kentucky would get him some more get some more weight on him keep improving his footwork especially going against pro every day in practice you know kind of a vague vague response but the, the potentials there, the praise is there from those close to him that know him and watch his game and, and have kind of seen him develop from the first time he came over from the, from, from the Philippines up until now. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting to see how this all unfolds because, yes, you're ex- exactly right. When you have a player that, that did play, um, whether it be professionally or at least at the level he did over in the Philippines, you're going to have eligibility issues. You're going to have red flags. You're going to have some, so just some random issues that come up along the way that that kind of makes the NCAA uncomfortable. And you know that's something Kentucky will have to deal with if they decide to get very serious about this kid. Um, but so, is it worth it? Is it worth it to take a chance on a kid that you know may be the next Ty Winyard? Do you want to go through the NCAA issues and deal with all that paperwork and all that stuff if 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 it won't if the benefit if if the production doesn't doesn't um, you know doesn't match the work you have to put in to make it happen? I'll play devil's advocate on this, uh, y'all. Uh, Jack, you've talked him up for the uh, past few minutes. Uh, by the way, did you mention about uh, his trainer saying he could be seven five? Oh, I did not. I did not mention Say, that. Talk about that before I. Um, yes. Question. So apparently he is. So there was a little like back and forth about how how old this kid actually is. There were some reports that he was only that he was only sixteen. Um, another that said he was. Um, that he was 17. Um, I kind of got it nailed down that that he turned six. That he turned 17 in May, um, and is going to be 18, 18 next May, obviously. Um, 
and I and I asked about uh, about height and you know because you see on you see on Twitter seven foot two you know uh, he's that he's you know everybody that's actually six eleven gets you know people say they're seven foot one and guys that are six foot five or six foot eight you know there there's always they always give you an extra an extra couple inches just because you know because it makes you look better so I asked is this kid a legit seven foot one or seven foot two what is his exact measurement and what is it going to be when he gets to the college level? And the trainers and those close to him think he is 100% a true seven foot two player, pushing seven foot three right now, and could potentially get as tall as seven foot five, seven foot six. So, and Coach Johnson told me, and these were his words, um, our quote um, he said he's seven two, but he's closer to seven three than he okay. is seven one. Yeah, so that goes that goes exactly in line with with um, what what those the people training him think that so as well. So we are talking, you know, think of what the Taco Fall sensation was whenever he was at UCF and kind of what what all happened there because of his larger than life size. Now imagine, you know, Taco is he's Taco. He is a very you know large lumbering individual, has some polish to his game, but the, for the most part, he is a you toss it you toss it above everybody else's hands and he catches it way higher than everybody else and he dunks it that's kind of his game a guy like Kai Soto is very polished very you know in impressive touch um guys in the Philippines there I read some some articles that that they're calling him potentially the next Yao Ming or something that that he has that level uh, of of potential because Yao was such a skilled guy for how big he was now obviously I'm not calling this kid Yao remember I I already said that I I am still very indifferent I'm still trying to figure out this kid's game I've never seen him in person so before I do that I want to I have to take other people's word for it um, and just you know take it for what it is but there is that you know he's a superstar out in the Philippines. People, I mean, he is larger than life, literally and figuratively, out there. They want him to be the first Filipino player uh, to play in the NBA. I mean, the, he he has that um, superstar level, you know, name recognition out there. So Kentucky is the type of place that he could be able to do that. But um, I did I guess we'll get see. a I did get a, a message today from an individual, and Travis may have gotten it too. I, I think we some of the circles that we talk and we talk to some of the same people and, and, and the guy who, and I'm not going to tell, he wouldn't want me to tell who he is. Uh, but he's a, a very, very accurate. Um, well, things that he tells me got a lot of sources and he tells me that, uh, he has already been offered to play in developmental, uh, professional leagues in Europe and that uh, there are people he thinks in his family that would rather have him do that and go play for money than than go to college. So even if he is legit, and and let me say this too, I was in no way saying that hey, this is a sketchy recruitment. I don't know, but when you have internationals out there, you have to throw up that red like you got to check all that out. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's. I, I, I don't care if it's John from Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to go through all you've got to go through all those uh, 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 through all that red tape and do it. No. And, uh, and but uh, even if everything does weigh out and it's good, he's good enough, and he would be eligible to play college. He's also got evidently some other options. 
Now, y'all have been talking him up for the uh, last few minutes. Now, let me kind of play devil's advocate here. Like, I, I think he's a very skilled basketball player, first off. I think he's definitely got a place. I think he'll eventually make it to the league and NBA in some sort. I just don't know what path he's going to take. But if you cut on the tape, I don't think any of us can seriously look at him and be like, oh, this is a John Calipari type rim running big. Because if you watch the tape, uh, full game highlights, uh, like whenever they played IMG, he had 18 and 12. But a lot of that was due to the size. But a lot of plays, he's slow off the uh, slow off the ground in blocking shots. He, The other team's shooting a layup down at the other end. He's barely making it to half court. He's just pretty unathletic. He's just big. He's big as hell. And he reminds me of a guy that would go play somewhere like Purdue or somewhere like Virginia Someplace with Notre Dame, someplace that will slow it down and uh, work through the big man. I think what can, I think while skilled, I just don't think he fits Kentucky's system that well. And but I mean, if the coaches love him, then I mean, my my opinion doesn't matter. But I'm just saying, you look at what Kentucky is natural or uh, historically recruited at the big man spots, and it's kind of if you look look at him, it looks like it's going to be fitting a square peg in a round hole. To, to play and, and I will uh, can I add this right quick yep I, I, I'll uh, uh, give some gas to what Travis is saying right there um, if and he's right about a certain type of player that Calipari likes and I'm gonna give you an example uh, to my knowledge the Kentucky staff has yet to speak with um, Chet Holmgren yeah who is, Ooh, that's interesting the top Two to three player in a 2021 class, seven one to seven two out of Minnesota, who I love and I've watched play numerous times. I talked to him a lot. Um, he uh, may be one of the most fascinating, maybe the most fascinating high school player that I've ever seen because he's seven one seven two. He and he plays point guard. He plays center. They bring him off staggers. There, there's a video you can go on YouTube and watch. He crossed over Steph Curry in Steph a pickup Curry. game. Yeah, yeah. He is legit, man, but it, but Kentucky's not. And I've had people ask me, why in the world don't they and, and don't they talk to him? Why haven't they spoken with him? And it's like Travis said, he's not – I understand he's not probably a, a John Calipari type that, that he goes looking for out of his bigs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's very very fascinating, it, but it just it and I just, take Chet Holmgren over this guy. I would oh, too. easily, yeah, easily. But it just it just brings brings up the question: Why did they feel the need to bring him in on a visit right now? Why you know is it just to send a feeler out to you know was did he reach out and say hey I'm a you know you bring up a good point they his team was overseas in in Madrid maybe he was left home. Um, maybe up in Kentucky training and he called the UK staff and said, Hey, I am in need of something to do. I'm an up and coming kid. I am very interested in, in, in playing at the college level. You, you know, do you have, you have some time for me today? And maybe the UK staff said, yep, we have plenty of time for you today. No problem at all. And brought him in, you know, it could be as simple as that, but, um, well, let's look at the other schools that, uh, have been mentioned with him in the Evan Daniels article. It said Auburn, I don't think he's a fifth there either, DePaul, Georgia Tech, Nebraska, and USC. 
So, I mean, it's not exactly the blue blood. Well, Kentucky seems to be the first blue blood to be sniffing around, but it's not like they're knocking down the door to get to them. Maybe that's for a reason, though. Maybe maybe they want to be the first, so – when you know if he does get serious about going going to college kai can go oh can you know i'm a blue blood level if he does grow into the player where you know we were put you know saying he could potentially be you know he could say oh kentucky was the very first school to take the chance on me and say that they want me and 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 all of that um you know maybe that they're just doing that you know they're just they're just doing their job they're just they're just feel, you know sending feelers out and 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 playing it by ear seeing seeing how he progresses and, and in case he does develop into the player he could be i believe then they're they're in a great position i believe espn is the only uh s- scouting service that has him ranked in the 2021 class yeah in the 2020 class and um i think they i believe they've got him ranked in the 80s 76 76 yeah. um yeah like i said i'm definitely not hating on the kid i hope he even if it's a kentucky like I hope he goes wherever, um, goes wherever he chooses, scores 20 and 10 a game. And surprises the hell out of me. I just don't see him fitting into Kentucky's system. Yeah, he very well might not. And, um, if, well, like, this show would be very boring if we were all sunshine pumpers with the same opinion. So, I mean, oh, we, yeah. all have to, we all have to play devil's advocate sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, well, moving on from him – we got we to gotta address something that was made public this week that we were planning on talking about on this pub on this podcast. Uh, it was made it was made public this week the fact that Nafali Dante, class of twenty originally class of twenty twenty reclassified to the class of twenty nineteen, uh, basically had it down to Oregon and Kentucky um, for a for various reasons he ended up signing ended up going to Oregon um and over recent recent months um there were some academic problems he was initially uh, originally declared ineligible by the NCAA um f- until dis- until mid December um cuz he had to get a couple more credits in apparently there was one class that he was waiting on that he had to figure out and until he could enroll um and it was it was an English class um and there was a bit of speculation that if he did not get that English credit, that he could potentially transfer to Kentucky. And it would be a second semester thing. He would redshirt um, and then go and then potentially uh, go to Kentucky, sit out for the next semester, and then play, you know, kind of be the, the front, course, front court centerpiece player um, for the 2020-21 class or the 2020-21 team. Now, Travis, this is something that that we had kind of talked about, you know, behind the scenes that that you didn't, weren't supposed to get out there, that it wasn't supposed to get out there. Um, but now that it is out there and it's kind of blown over, Travis, let's kind of talk about what the heck happened here. <clears throat> All right. So I was with Jack whenever I got this text message um, or actually a Twitter DM. Somebody in his circle had sent me a message on October 29th of this year to say if I give you some info you must in all capitals sit on it don't tell anyone uh don't tell anyone else not anyone until I let you know it's done so I was like all right what's up and then he said Dante may and uh, and follow Dante may end up at UK next semester no letter of intent to Oregon has been signed trying to get it done red shirt he would red shirt this year and play next season 
And then, so he, I was like, hey, can I give a hint about this? He's like, he said, nope. Um, keep it hush hush. I'll keep you in the loop. So then, I feel like I'm going to get sequestered. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, so he said, hold off until I get back, uh, back with you. Uh, nobody is in on this though. Trust me. And then I asked if he, uh, would, if he wasn't eligible at Oregon, if he would go straight to the league, he said, no, he needs college. So I was like, all right. Well, then he was letting me know throughout last week, because when he was originally ruled eligible at Oregon, he wasn't, he's, he still wasn't in the clear. He needed, needed one English credit, which he got back December 5th, uh, for improved English. I forget the name of it. Um, and then he was in the clear. Well, the whole time they were saying that a lot of his circle coming out of high school and his recruitment wanted him to go to Kentucky. His handler was the only one that wanted him to go to Oregon. And yeah, there's some behind the scenes stuff. The handler won out and the, uh, they were going to try to keep the handler out of this somehow. And that everybody in his circle, like I said, outside of his handler wanted him to go to Kentucky. So that's, if he hadn't been eligible, if he hadn't gotten ruled eligible at Oregon, there was a possibility he may have went to Kentucky and waited it out until he got eligible. Now on Kentucky's thing, the, on Kentucky's side of things, they didn't reach out. This was not like a you know a potential like tampering issue or anything anything of that of that of that sort. Um, they were aware. I mean, they read Twitter and they were aware of of headlines as well. They knew that there was a potential academic issue, um, and that there was some buzz out there that he could potentially that that he could potentially transfer at Kentucky, transfer to Kentucky, be there in this the spring semester, sit out, redshirt, and then play next season. They were aware of it. They didn't reach out or anything like that, but they were going to, they would have been open to it if that opportunity presented itself, but it was nothing more than a monitoring situation. They were just going to see what happened, and if one day Nafali Dante showed up on their on their doorstep and said please take me they're going to say man it'd be awesome to have a practice body that's kind of the extent of it it was very very uh new a lot of stuff was going into it very fluid situation there was no definitive you know there was nothing definitive about it um it was more so a you know an idea that was being flirted around on Dante's uh, you know his camp that basically said Hey, this situation might present itself where we can't play at Oregon. We should try to get this kid at at at, at Kentucky for next season. That's kind of the extent of it, um, and that's kind of all we're going to go in depth on it. But yes, it was out there. It was a possibility, and it is now not a possibility. He's going to be playing this. I believe they'll have him for uh, the second semester. At Oregon will. Well, I thought I got. I thought I saw some something say that he was going to be eligible on December thirteenth. That he was going to be eligible next week to play. When, whenever, whenever he's eligible, he is going to be playing this season. He he passed that class, so all of this is a moot point. He could but, be a patented half and done. Yes, he he very well could be a half and done. Um, but it, it would have been incredible. It would have been fun. Um, Kentucky needs practice bodies, but unfortunately, they didn't come to fruition. That's the guy that I was hitting at. Uh, these past couple months, I'm like, uh, guy out of left field could join. <laughs> and that's who I'd been hitting at, like just dropping little subtle hints, like that. Everybody's like, who out of left field? I'm like, I don't know. Just I think somebody could be added. That's who I was talking about. Now that we can talk about it, and 
Um, that's what I kept on saying. They could add somebody from the transfer route, the grad transfer. I kept on throwing transfer in there. But, like, I knew there's going to be a lot of hoops to jump through. So that's why they told me not to say anything. And that's why I thought it would be best not to say anything, get people's hopes up. But, yeah, this has been talked about since um, right before Halloween. So, but if you look at UK's team next year, there wouldn't have been a better fit at the center position than Infale Dante, a rim protector that can score around the rim and to go along with the uh, fantastic wings and guards that Kentucky has coming in. Yeah, so, David, after that long spiel, what what are your initial reactions to the idea that Nefali Dante very well could have been on his way to Lexington? Go back um, the July, June, July, when um, – you know, he, he was narrowing the list. So many people thought he was going to go to Kentucky. And, and you know, we didn't know. Uh, you know, Oregon had the buzz, but then he took the official visit to Kentucky. And things kind of changed. And, you know, we have we all know that uh, I think if, if uh, it would have been up to him, um, and people say, well, what are you talking about if it would have been up to him? You know, a lot of people go into these decisions and uh, uh, help out here. And, and, you know, there's an inner circle and they kind of come to an agreement. And, um, you know, he, he definitely liked what he saw at Kentucky. And uh, I think it was it was very it was difficult for him to sign those papers going to Oregon. I really believe that. I think he, he truly wanted to be at Kentucky. And for those who don't know this. His handler is the same handler that, uh, what's his name, uh, Chuck Diallo had that went to Kansas, had some problems there. It's the same sketchy dude. I'm not going to get into detail, but, yeah, that guy was holding all the cards in this recruitment. Yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate. Kentucky, I mean, like Travis said, that would have been the perfect person to match and kind of be the the, the centerpiece of that front court next season. They needed a true five big man. You know, we've been talking about Cliff Omarui and other, you know, other potential five options, other potential front court options. That would have been the premier player. That would have been the perfect guy to match what, you know, the the – all the other players and, and you know, the, the perfect complimentary piece to even the front court, Lance Ware, Isaiah Jackson, two, you know, more finesse guys. Nefali Dante would 100% be more of an, an anchor type player. He would have fit in perfectly. Um, and it's a shame. I mean, it, it would have been very cool, very, um, very helpful, very beneficial to Kentucky's recruiting um, and, and how they wanted to close out this next class. Unfortunately, that option is off the table now, and they need to look elsewhere. So um, on that note, David, you talked to Cliff Omarui's guardian um, and apparently came came away fairly optimistic on, uh, on Kentucky's chances. Um, so why don't you tell us why that is and, and just kind of what, what how that conversation went? You know, it's funny when we go back to Sato and we were talking about, you know, um, um, you know what else they, they were saying, what else do you need? It's on Twitter. When, when I called uh, uh, Muhammad uh, Oliver, when I called him, and, and I've spoken with him numerous times since the spring, and he was like, man, he said, boy, Kentucky, they're in recruiting, aren't they? <laughs> you know, like oh, yeah. he gets hit up all the time. and I'm like, yeah. I said, they love it, man. I mean, you know, 
basketball's king. They want to know. And, uh, man, he just loosened up and loosened up as, as it went once we got to start talking about Kentucky and just, you know, talking about a relationship of Isaiah Briscoe with, you know, he's a Roselle Catholic where Khalil Whitney was at. Then he gets into Calipari, started talking about Calipari's visit and, you know, what Calipari tells them. And, um, and, and then, you know, what all Kentucky has done with their bigs. And I'm going to tell you, I really enjoy talking to him. I've learned as much from him or not as much. I've learned more from him and I have anybody else about, what John Calipari looks for in a big man, mm-hmm. uh, how he recruits them, what, how he's going to develop them. I mean, he, he's basically it, – it's been very educational for me to, to, to speak with him uh, over the months. And um, I'm going to tell you what, and I texted both you guys as soon as I hung up the phone and said, hey, I, you know, just spoke with his guardian. And, uh, man, I, I – I, I really, really feel like as this thing develops, and we'll see how it goes. As far as I know, you know, Kentucky's told him, "Look, you're not Plan B; you're Plan A." And you know, he's going to do this thing in the spring. He's not going to be able to take any official visits to after the high school season's over, and that's going to be April. Uh, they play very late in, in New Jersey, and I, I texted both of you guys, and I said, "Look, if this thing works out where it, it is." Kentucky is are still very, very serious interest at that time. Uh, I, I, I think I'll be shocked if he's not a Kentucky Wildcat. And I'll say that here, I'll say that here on the national podcast. I'll be shocked. And you know me, I try to be reserved on this stuff, but you can tell, you know, that that uh, boy, they, they really like Kentucky. Somebody asked me yesterday when that uh, Kai stuff broke, uh, would you rather have Kai or Cliff as your center if you had a project big? And I, one like without hesitation, said Cliff because I think he is. I, while he's really, really raw offensively, I, we talked about this last episode. I think he can step in and be a um, re, like rebounding space eater in the paint. And uh, he's that he's athletic like Cal wants in his bigs. So. That was my answer to the person that DM'd me. Yeah, and he's totally different. If you read Bossy's uh, on Rivals, if you read his critiques of Omarui, he he basically calls him a beast. Yeah, and uh, just just you know just just unbridled just just uh, energy. The uh, you know as a big man and, and just physical power and strength and just raw strength and. Um, he is, he's going to be, uh, you know, like we talked about, what's a John Calipari, uh, kind of post player. Well, look it up in the dictionary and that's the, you know, that's the kind of description you're going to get. Hey Dave, I got a question for you. How do you spell strength? S T R E N G T H. All right, because I, I know you Tennessee folks, you you seem to forget the G in it whenever you that strength. <laughs> so uh, I just want to make sure. Uh, yeah, I could tell you're. Uh, I, I I could tell you know Kentucky's kind of split. I could tell that that your uh, ancestors probably fought with a union. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, yes, yeah, Cliff. Um, we've we've talked about it very much in depth. He would be a a perfect plug and play guy, even 
even considering his offensive deficiencies, yes, we know he is very, very raw offensively. He is not going to, you know, blow anybody away with his his polished footwork or or you know a, a beautiful jump hook or anything like that. That is just not who what his game is at all. But he is going to like you're never going to have to question his motor. You're never going to question his rebounding ability or his effort. You know, John Calipari went on a 30-minute rant this week about how he wants his players to grab the ball with two hands on, re- you know, on rebounds and and go more with effort and and fight people for rebounds and stuff. That is who Cliff Omarui is to a T. He loves rebounding. He loves doing the dirty work down low. That is his game. So for a coach like John Calipari, who is begging for anybody on this roster to do that, he can be that person immediately next year. He's not going to be, you know, he will never put up 25 points in a game at Kentucky. I'm here to tell you right now, but he is the perfect. He could be a, a an awesome 10 and 10 type guy, um, you know, block shots, you know, just just be a rim protector, be, be a rim runner. He is. He can be that guy, um, and that's some. That's something Kentucky needs. And and for David, for you to be as optimistic about it, um, fans fans should definitely feel good about it because that is uh, that is exactly what they're missing in this class. Um, it'll it it would be a a huge get at this point in time. Two uh, two comparisons I've seen for Cliff are twenty four seven hasn't compared to Check Diallo who we mentioned earlier and. Uh, Flow Hoops has a quote from somewhere. I'm trying to find this article. Um, has him compared to a young, raw version of... Um, this is actually um, something about Adam Zagoria. Uh, somebody compared him to a young Clint Capella. I, I mean, but the, thing, the thing that I like about Cliff is he knows who he is. He doesn't try to be that 20-point-a-game scorer. He would be content going out and getting 10-12 boards and 2-3 blocks and 4-5 to five points. Clint Capella, who who he said his guardian said he patterns his game after, and that is one heck of a comparison because you, what does what does Clint Capella bring to the table for James Harden and the entire Houston, Houston Rockets offense and and or I guess on both both ends of the floor exactly what we're talking about with with, with Cliff rebounding being a rim runner effort 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 somebody grab said, rebounds somebody said Amari Stoudemire I'm not going no, that far no 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 <laughs> I think, no. I think a raw Clint Capella, a young Clint Capella, and Clint Jake- Capella. Clint Capella, yeah, that's exactly who he was four years ago, five years ago. Was that exact raw needs a whole lot of work type player, but a little rough around the edges. But when you find that, you know, if you could polish that diamond off a little bit, he can be a a key piece for a a team as good as I know the the Rockets haven't been too too great this year, but a a key a key piece on a strong. Uh, NBA team um, you know we're kind of running out of time here David but I know you mentioned that you you kind of had this a, a rundown of sorts of you know kind of Kentucky's top signees and targets from uh, the class of 2020 and 2021 uh, from their recent play to kind of start their high school seasons um, real quick let's end with that what do what do you have to tell us about uh, about the the overall scene of, of high school basketball regarding Kentucky well there was a lot going on this week um just as far or this past weekend rather um going back to probably about thursday with kentucky signees kentucky recruits uh guys who played in big tournaments there was a couple during the weekend 
and even uh, ones that John Calipari went out to see. I did an article on it Monday, just to kind of give you a uh, just a, um, a, a just a quick overview. Uh, Who Paul West had a uh, they have a big event every year in Phoenix. Uh, B.J. Boston of uh, Sierra Canyon had 22 points. Came off the bench uh, to do that, so he's not starting right now, but comes off in that role. But anybody will tell you that's watched him, he's the best player that they have. Uh, Eric Bossy said that um, uh, just he said if he can shoot, this was the quote, if he can, can shoot this consistently in college, he's going to make Wildcat fans very happy. Uh, he said he knocked down open jumpers, had some fun in transition, helped his team roll in front of a huge crowd. He said he relishes playing on the big stage, and it's not going to get any bigger than what John Calipari has in Lexington. So a guy that not, not only can shoot the ball is talented, but kind of treasures uh, uh, the, the scene there of what he'll have in Kentucky, an environment. Devin Askew had 14 points and eight rebounds. Uh, Bossy said uh, even though he, he – had some foul trouble. He's a good-sized point guard who was a scorer and was the best player on the floor. Um, that was the 2020 guys. 2021, uh, Tony Barbie was in uh, Washington in Seattle uh, last Friday night when O'Day and Paolo Banchero opened up. He had 17 points and seven rebounds, played in only three quarters. They won 96-37. Um, Coaches were also there from Washington and uh, Tennessee, Gonzaga, North Carolina, in to see him this week, including Roy Williams. Uh, Michael Foster was at Hillcrest Prep. He had 11 in one game, or, or uh, uh, at Hillcrest Prep was at the uh, Hoopal West event, rather. Uh, he had 11 points in one game, had 24 in the other. And we were talking about it before we went on. Uh, it looks like George is being considered the leader for him right now, and he told Corey Evans that they're recruiting him to artist. Uh, Musa Cisse was at the Marshall County Hoop Fest, uh, had uh, 14 points, nine rebounds, and five blocks, and came back uh, Saturday night in Atlanta, had 26 points, 12 rebounds, and 12 blocks. <laughs> that is so. That's uh, so ridiculous. Crazy. <laughs> Jaden Hardy. And uh, that's a name that I would really remember if I were Kentucky fans. He was at Hoopal West, had 40 points, 12 assists, nine rebounds against Shadow Mountain. And if I'm not mistaken, that's who Michael Bibby coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, uh, had 27 points uh, in the first game there. Uh, Bossy interviewed him, and he came back uh, today and, and this morning and said, it appears that uh, there's some pretty serious mutual interest there between Kentucky and Hardy, and he's going to have the eyes of blue, Big Blue Nation on him moving forward. And then finally, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, um, I think you said it was Joel Justice, you believe, yeah. that was in at the ARS National Hoop Fest in Washington, D.C. to see him over the weekend. So, uh, you know, we talk here, you look at 2021, uh, just to look ahead a little bit, uh, Banchero, most people think he's a Kentucky lean. Uh, Jaden Hardy, I think that's Kentucky's where he'll end up. And then Brandon Huntley Hatfield, he's an IMG, but he's from Clarksville, and uh, he's got some strong Kentucky ties that you guys can go into. But I think that's three guys right there. 
who are both ranked number 10. According to rivals, Huntley Hatfield's 2022 ranked number eight, but he's probably going to reclass. Yeah. Harden's ranked, Hardy's ranked number nine, and uh, Banchero's ranked number two in 2021. And that could very well be, be three early signee guys for Kentucky in the 2021 class. You touched on my favorite player in the 2021 class, uh, Jaden Hardy. I've talked to his coach a couple times, and they've and he's gone in depth about how great of a kid he is. But if you watch his tape, he is arguably one of the best and probably has an argument for the best scorer in all of high school basketball, has an argument for one of the best, if not the best, shooter in high school basketball. And that is, and it's going to be somebody that's going to be I feel I can step in in college and score 15-plus a game right off the bat just because he can score from all three levels at a high rate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just as high on this class of uh, this 2020 class right now, I mean, you've already just mentioned three top ten level players that are, if not favoring Kentucky, at least have strong Kentucky ties, uh, or there are there are rumblings that they are they are leaning Kentucky. So, I mean, yeah, fan, as excited as we are right now, people fans can get just as excited, if not more, for for what Kentucky is putting is sli- silently putting together behind the scenes for this class of 2021. Um, like like we've mentioned on several occasions, John Calipari is just recruiting like a madman right now. He's not going to win all of them, um, all of his recruiting battles, but he's doing one heck of a job right now. Um, and, yeah, with that, I think we have hit on all of the major stuff. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Nope, I'm good. Nothing here. When we started out, we said, well, it's kind of quiet right now. I wonder what we can talk about and. Hour and a half later, here we are. Yeah, here we are. And so with that, uh, if you are interested in sponsoring this show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR or via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Uh, Travis, where can, where can folks find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Trav underscore Graph. You can find my work alongside David's at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. Um you can find my other podcast, the Cat Scan Podcast with K on Twitter at uh, Cat Scan Pod. Uh, please like it on uh, iTunes and give it five stars. We've had a bunch of uh, – we're having another football player on tonight. On It will be tomorrow's episode. Uh, we've had John Young, Bo Allen, and Justin Rogers on. We're having Ernest Sanders on tonight. And David. Uh, uh, Travis is Kentucky's Howard Stern. <laughs> uh, it's uh coach david sisk at twitter.com or, or twitter at, yeah. I don't know where I got second time you've done it i love it i love it yeah 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 at twitter and uh and uh also can follow me cats illustrated all right and we will be back next week for another jam-packed sources say podcast we will see you then